you're just so out of breath and it's so steep um, that you just have to push yourself um, physically. But, but I think I would make the argument even more so mentally in that last section. Um, and that lasted for about a couple hours until we got up to the actual summit. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 51 of Life in Motion. Today I've got a familiar face or rather a familiar voice on the line, Danny Collins. You all may remember Danny as the founder of 37 North Expeditions, which is an outdoor adventure guide company. He's also traveled all over the world and has taken on some amazing feats like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, recently he just got back from South America where he climbed both Cotopaxi and Chimborazo. So it only makes sense to have him on here to kind of share a story about what it was like to visit the closest place on earth to outer space. Uh, Danny, thanks for being on the show again today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm starting to feel a little bit of a regular and I love that. Hey, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to have familiar faces, you know, between you and uh, Emily and Cindy on here, you know, just keep, uh, keep it going. Yeah, well, I appreciate you kind of doing what you're doing for yourself and for everybody. And then also just for, uh, you know, the shout out to the company and helping spread the word. So yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks to what you're doing for sure. Definitely. So, so for, um, those, uh, who might not have heard either your episode or, um, like I mentioned, um, an episode a while back with some of your guides, um, let's, let's take a little bit to just kind of catch, catch people up with kind of your story is, you know, what your background is kind of what you're all about. And then also talk about, um, your, your company as well. Yeah. So kind of, you mentioned a little bit about, um, um, about what I do now, but I grew up, um, in, in the heart of the Ozarks, um, kind of had always had a little bit of an adventure side to myself, kind of lived a second life in a canoe and on, um, on hiking trails, but <laughs> ended up graduating from college and got a completely unrelated degree in that field. I got a master's in architecture and my MBA moved out to New York city where I worked in the, the real corporate world for about four years and, um, loved it, hate it, all of it, I guess you say. And, um, that's kind of what got me started into the career I'm in now. I guess you could say I, I started guiding on the side for a company and, in um in the northeast got the chance to lead some a lot of day trips and some weekend adventures and then even some things like uh like we talked about um one of our past episodes uh guiding um you know, assistant guiding to places like Kilimanjaro and uh, Machu Picchu and those kind of places and, um after that really fell in love with that world and decided I want to make a career change much to the chagrin of my parents that paid for an architecture degree right <laughs> and ended up landing a job with um, um, National Geographic. Um, I actually got a, um, um, I was the expedition manager for one of their unique lodges of the world down in South America, a few hours outside of Quito, Ecuador. And um, just amazing opportunity, amazing job, amazing place altogether. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't there very long before um, my life kind of changed when I found out my dad had been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And so my then girlfriend, now wife and I moved back um, yeah, from South America where we were living and working um, to the Ozarks to, to kind of be with my family during that whole process. And um, long story short, that was really the big inspiration for um, the company that I started 37 North Expeditions. It really was a 
an opportunity for me to stay in that world, an opportunity that I saw from all my experiences here that, that the Ozarks is, um, to be brutally honest, and just a fantastically beautiful place that I took for granted when I lived here before. And I think so many of us do. And so that was one of the big goals and aspirations of 37 North is, is to really make the Ozarks more accessible um, to all and to just kind of break down some of those barriers that, that people might have, whether that's bad trail marking or, you know, um, lack of opportunities for females and minorities to, to, to explore the outdoors. And um, so we take a pretty strong stance in just trying to make it simple and convenient for everybody to get out and see our beautiful backyard and to do it in a very fun and social manner. And so that's kind of a, where we're at today. I'm, I'm now really working pretty hard at, at achieving those goals with the company. And um, as you've had on some past episodes, we've got an amazing team from um, the executive level all the way down to the, the incredible guides that, that you'll have on your actual adventures with us. So, yeah, it's a little bit about me. That's awesome. And, and kind of to, to your point, like when you came back here, you know, you obviously had the experiences with guiding uh, both nationally and internationally. Um, but as far as I know, there wasn't really anything like 37 North here in the Ozarks before, or at least not that had your unique twist on it. So basically you're kind of, creating everything from like a you need you knew there was a need here but you kind of made made that need possible to yeah the there's public. no doubt that it that it was that was an opportunity itself that there was nothing like it and a lot of people think well that's an amazing opportunity but it's also um it's, it's in a way we had to start by educating people what this even was right and um you know i mean educating people it's okay to get into shared transportation for stuff like this and there was, a, there was a huge hurdle and learning curve when we were the tip of the spear in, in this world and pretty much anything in the Ozarks. Um, like you said, nothing really like us at all when we first started. And, um, and yeah, but, but that really was the, the, the fact that, is that there was a huge opportunity and a need to, um, to showcase our beautiful backyard in this amazing outdoor recreation um, region um, more for our for our community and our residents and also for to, to showcase it more in the form of a, a potential for outdoor tourism. Right. And so I think we're definitely on our way to achieving some of those goals that we set out. And I, I hope that we're playing our part into making the Ozarks more recognizable as a, as a leader in the outdoor industry and also um, making our community more healthy one, one uh, adventure at a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's what it's all about and exposing to those experiences and creating those different experiences. And um, it's, it's, it's been cool to, to watch, watch you grow, grow, you know, from, you know, one weekend uh, or one trip a weekend to multiple weekends, or I can't even get those mixed up, uh, multiple trips a weekend uh, and kind of expanding your footprint as well. And not only that, I know, you know, with, with COVID and some things like that kind of threw some curveballs in there, but I know you also had some uh, aspirations or still have some aspirations uh, to maybe have some international trips through 37 North as well, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, our, our big picture goal is anything in any time frame that you want when it has to do with outdoors adventures, we will, we'll have that under our umbrella. Right. So we, you know, we have anything from horseback riding to fly fishing, to hiking, to kayaking, canoeing. And, um, we're starting to get into some backpacking and bike packing adventures. Our cycling trips are just taking off the, the world and the gravel riding and mountain biking is just so, so awesome in our region right now. 
Um, and, and yeah, and it, we're, we're planning on having um, the, some bigger trips, some domestic international adventures as soon as the world opens back up that the differentiating will be with us is an experience with us is that you'll go with people from our area, right? And because again, we want to create real ways to foster those relationships before the trip happens by getting together for, you know, informational sessions and pre-hikes and pre-trips and stuff. And then be able to foster those relationships so that when you come back, you have people to, you know, hopefully continue it, those, those newfound friends and newfound connections that you have. So yeah, really, uh, um, we've really just kind of broken into where we, where we picture ourselves five and 10 years down from now, um, playing a role in this, in this kind of outdoor adventure, um, and wellness type of capacity. So yeah, super excited. Um, Definitely COVID has some serious issues for us. I mean, it had serious issues for everybody, but especially people that are kind of doing, you know, social experiences and stuff. Um, anything, I think, I think everybody would probably agree that the tourism and travel is probably the absolute hardest hit industry in, um, at least in this country. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think that the lasting effects of COVID, the more deeper connections to the outdoors, the uh, desire for, for that, that connection to be outside and that need that, that most of us are experiencing on a deeper level right now is not only going to be better for, um, you know, for our community, but also for in a business like ours. I think we're, we're situated in a really good position to help people that got a little bit of that itch fixed during COVID by getting out in their trail system. They want to take that itch to the next level that we're going to be there to give the, provide the experiences for them to, to join. That's awesome. And, and it's, it's cool. Like you said, it's kind of, it's not just about the experience itself. It's about building that community and those relationships with the people that attend. Um, so, so speaking of, of which, and like you said, kind of, you know, the idea, you know, kind of, you know, with all the COVID stuff or besides all the COVID stuff, but, you know, growing to do some national and, uh, or, or more national and international trips as well. You recently did some, some scouting, I should say for an international trip, <laughs> or maybe it was just for the fun of it, but, uh, let's, let's talk, where, where did you go again? Yeah. So I spent some time, um, actually in Ecuador. So I'm very familiar with, um, with, Ecuador as a country and my wife is actually Ecuadorian and so we go often um, and this is something that's been on my list um, pretty much since my first trip back to Ecuador back in gosh what it have to have been about 2012 or 2013 oh, yeah. was to summit um, a couple of these higher peaks there uh, Ecuador is um, <laughs> kind of in the heart of the Andes um, it's it's um, Quito itself, a lot of people don't know, but Quito is the, is the capital and it sits at 9,000 feet elevation itself. I mean, wow. for comparison, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, Denver's at 5,800, right? So we're talking wow. um, a, a country of, or a, a city of 3 million people that are situated at, um, you know, two or another third higher than what Denver even sits at. So wow. it's just a, it's, it's a country that's surrounded by incredible mountains the andes are kind of all around you you see snow-capped peaks kind of everywhere um, and mo a lot of those are either active or dormant volcanoes um, it's a very active area if you think about the relationship you know ecuador is also the, the the owner of the galapagos islands and so you do have just a lot of active active activity around that region um, and so this particular trip i uh, um 
after some holiday travel with the with my wife's family um we i extended my trip and had one of my best friends come out and join me and yeah we summited two uh two two twenty thousand foot plus peaks um over the course of about six and a half days so uh it was quite it was quite phenomenal yeah that's insane so so obviously like you said you've kind of had that on your bucket list for a little while now um what 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 was the reasoning or was there a reasoning to just go for it go for it now and kind of and kind of do it and uh and and also not only that but what did it take to you know obviously you kind of had that family vacation while you're there so that planning that might have been different but what was it like to actually plan to to do something like that yeah i think uh you know i mean we, one of the first things you had me on to talk about was my trip to uh summit kilimanjaro um very different experience in a lot of ways still you know again it's about a 20,000 foot peak itself but um so I had, had had some experience with mountaineering or high peak summits but these particular two are things that are the ones that I have to see every day when I lived there in Ecuador and had always wanted to experience in the top and it's a true mountaineering experiences um, um but this particular I think is um, I think a lot of people can relate to where I'm at. We are about to expect our first kid here in just about a, a month and a half. And um, there is absolutely zero doubt that that sparked something in me to uh, <laughs> uh, you know, let's, let's live a little bit before uh, we don't sleep for a bit type of concept. <laughs> you, uh, you can't really strap the, the baby on the, on the back carrier and climb not, up the mountain. Right? Not <laughs> at least for a couple of years, I think <laughs> So I, or I would probably get reported. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was kind of, uh, I think that was probably one of the bigger moments and everybody's been itching, I'm sure to travel and we knew I was going there already. So I threw it out there to a friend and he bit and we, uh, we started training and planning for it. Um, your question about the planning is, um, you know, we, you down there, like most places for these high summits, which is the way it should be, you have to have a, an actual local guide. So we did, um, start to coordinate with the local guide service and started to work out the details of, of which one, which ones we want to do, what trainings we had a couple pre training hikes that got up to about 17, 18,000 feet. Um, and just started working out that itinerary and, um, something very important for high altitude, um, mountaineering and summits are to get up as high as possible and to stay as high as possible. Right. So we, um, you know, like we said, we had an advantage already that Quito itself, where I was at for a week or so before, was at 9,000 feet. Um, but then we started with a 17,000 foot climb. And then after that, we actually stayed in the highlands for each night um, before and after these other two larger summits, which we can talk about in a bit. Um, so staying anywhere from about 12 to, to 13,000 feet. Um, didn't really ever get much lower than that, which is a huge advantage to, uh, to the success of, uh, of, of your summit dates. So, so why, why is that so important? Yeah. I mean, I just, I think everybody that knows anything about mountaineering, it's the altitude that, um, you know, it's not just the, the potential of altitude sickness, um, which is a huge concern, which is probably your largest concern when you're going to these types of elevations, but it's, uh, just simply your, your fitness levels are completely different. Being able to stay there, it lets your body acclimate as much as possible to that, um, 
if, if again, without getting into the science of it too much, it's, it's, there's less oxygen right there. Right. So you yeah. really are truly acclimating to breathing in less oxygen at, at any particular point in time. And so letting your body have as much time as possible to acclimate like that is, is pretty much the key to, um, anybody but Superman to, to <laughs> successfully summiting things like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever been that high before, so I can, couldn't imagine, uh, doing you that. I don't know happen, if I could... you would know. <laughs> I guess a plane doesn't count. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it was, it was guided. Was this similar to, um, how, how many days did, did, did it take, I guess, for, um, I guess for each, each summit? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a very different experience for something like a Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro is you, uh, the difference is you start about 6,000 feet um, in elevation and you summit to 20,000 feet, right? So you really are hiking yourself up 14,000 feet. And that's the reason it takes generally the average individual takes between six and seven days um, to complete that trip, right? So you are camping, along the trail usually you're climbing about 3,000 feet each day and then going down which is again to help your body acclimate you always want to try to sleep at a lower elevation than your highest point of that day and so that's kind of your stair stepping up slowly slowly but surely up Kilimanjaro over the course of six or seven days um, these two summits um, the first one I'll talk about is Cotopaxi which is actually um, it's it it's the highest regularly active volcano in the entire world. So there's a couple others that are <laughs> that have been active, but Cotopaxi itself is, is always active, right? So you're seeing, you know, you're seeing that what you, you smell that sulfur all the time, almost the entire hike. Um, and you see the, the steam coming out. We didn't get a great chance to see down in, but usually you can actually see the activity of the volcano um, if it's decent weather at the top. So, that one sits uh, just uh, over 20,000 feet, um, just at 20,000 feet. It is um, uh, you essentially the, the, the way that you summit that is you go to the night before, you actually can drive most of the way up to your uh, refuge camp, right? Okay. So you can actually drive up to about, I think it's 13 or 14,000 feet. You got a little bit of a hike up to the refuge camp. It's about an hour, hour and a half, so not that much. Um, and that is actually like you could think of like a hostel, right? You know, there's no nice accommodations, of course, but it's <laughs> actually a building. And you'll sleep in, um, and so they have everything there, which is nice. You don't have to carry much except for what you need. And you'll sleep from about you probably arrive about three or four p.m. on average. Okay. Sleep, um, you know, eat dinner. Um, try to get to sleep around six ish, try to lay your head down and you'll wake up around midnight. Okay. Um, so try to get as much sleep as you can. And then you wake up at midnight and you actually start the actual summit about one. Well, for us, we started about 1 AM and it took us about, um, you know, just over six, six or so hours. So we summited the goal is always to summit right at sunrise and, um, Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the main reason behind that is that generally you have storms that roll in just after sunrise. And so you always want to be on your down, um, on your descent 
during when those storms could potentially roll in. Um, so, so yeah, you're doing your entire summit um, in, in the dark, right? By just by headlight and hopefully good full moons. But <laughs> did so, you have a good full moon? We did not have a good full moon. No. And we also had just absolutely terrible weather for that entire. Um, so you got thing. the full experience. <laughs> we got the true full experience. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, to be to take it to a whole new level, um, we woke up about at, at midnight to find about five inches of new snow where we were. So oh, perfect. Be more up above, and um, you know, due to due to COVID, due to lack of tourism, due to all this stuff, we uh, we were actually the only three that summited that mountain that day. Us two and our guide. So wow. that that's there's some kind of cool factor to that, but really it's a um, one, it's a sign that, you know, there might be some weather, I guess, that people have been seeing that they didn't attempt. But also, the really terrible thing about that is that, you know, when you go five inches of new snow, you're essentially, you know, you're creating new footpaths. Whereas if you had people that were in front of you, um, you get the benefit of kind of compacted um, oh, yeah. travel, right? So it really yeah. did take us quite a bit longer. And, um, yeah, you generally in this one, you know, you, I think we came up, it took us about, um, I think it took us about an hour and a half, two hours to reach the glacier base. And then when you get on the glacier, you, you've actually put on your crampons, uh, you tie up to everybody in case something were to happen with a crevasse or to happen with a slip, because it's extremely steep. Um, once you hit the glacier, you actually tie up to each other and then you transfer over from straight hiking poles to actually using a, um, one hiking pole in your, in one hand and your ice axe in the other. Oh, wow. And the, the kind of, you know, kind of concept of that, if you think about climbing on a really steep incline, you always got one side that's higher, you know, if you're up, your uphill side is, is less distance from your hand to your, to the mountain, right. Versus your downhill side, you got a higher. So your downhill side, you'll have your um, hiking pole that's extended and your uphill side, you'll have your ice axe. Um, and always using that, putting both of those in at every step in case something were to, to slide out from underneath you or you do lose balance or something. Because it is, I mean, it's just, I think a lot of people, I guess the thing that you'd always surprise at the most is just how incredibly steep these are. Um, and, and just you're really walking up the side of a mountain, literally. So, so like to, to that point, like, I mean, you know, the, the summit itself you know, has some different challenges and endurance and all that stuff playing a factor. But like getting to something like that, where you're, you know, with the, the, the ice axe and, and the one hiking pole or whatnot, and actually climbing up the side of a mountain, like, did you, have you done anything like that before to prepare yourself? And like, is it, and, and then even if you have or haven't for that particular like climb and even similar ones, I guess, does like the guide like kind of show you like, Hey, this is how you should be doing this. I mean, obviously you, like you said, you guys are all kind of tethered together or whatnot, but still yeah. that could be intimidating for, you know, if, if you've never done it before or really know what you're getting yourself into. Absolutely. I mean, both of us have had some time experience with crampons and ice axes. And if you don't, you definitely want to have a little bit of a, a, a practice beforehand, right? Whether that's even just the day before, um, just a little bit of an education on how to kind of use those things like a self-arrest, is a very important thing. You know, in, in other words, if you were to start to slide out, um, how to use the ice axe to actually stop yourself from, from keeping sliding down. And yeah. Um, and yeah, so I have had, um, you know, I've done some 
Mount Washington up in the Northeast, had some winter, um, we used some stuff and then a few other practices of, of um, ice climbing and those kind of things too, but nothing this steep, I will admit, nothing, <laughs> nothing I'd been on before had been as steep as these two. Um, but yes, you definitely want to be comfortable, at least in some capacity, comfortable with both of those pieces of equipment. Um, you do generally have, and in this case, the, the most veteran was, of course, our guide. They'll be always on the uphill side, right? And so okay. if you have somebody sliding out from you, um, they are able to, you know, and you always want to keep your rope. And these are little things that you always will go over or know beforehand is you're, you want your rope always to be taunt. And that's essentially, so if, if it had a, if it had some loose, uh, if it was loose and you think about one person actually sliding out, you have a much harder, um, um, you know, jolt of force. Yeah. People that are holding you back. Right. So, so generally having three people is good because that way you always have two people that will hopefully still have their balance. Um, if something were to happen to one. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. Yeah, a lot of it's common. A lot of it is basic common sense if you th really think about it, but yeah, of course it's very different when you're actually applying it. <laughs> yeah. You feel like you're climbing backwards or, you know, yeah. uh, so so once, so once you make that, so, oh, so anyway, so you're at the glacier, you start making that kind of climb, then, then what's next? Yeah. I mean, really it's a, uh, you know, I think it, again, I don't have an ex incredible experience like some of these people that, you know, have done some of the higher peaks in the world and stuff, but I, I generally you kind of have these in two or three different sections and a big one, big section is when you start to actually hit glacier right? When you hit that glacier, things change and you, you, you're moving at a different pace, you're adding equipment and all that kind of stuff. And then the second or the, the kind of last phase switch is always that, that final ascent, right? And every mountain seems to have, you think about it, if you look at a mountain, it's never really, um, you always got the steepest part usually at the very top, right? And so that final yeah. ascent that for us is when we started in um, you might be able to share some pictures or videos that I, that I can share with your listeners, but um, you get to a certain level and it just looks uh, on this mountain, it's particularly in Cotopaxi, you just get to a level where it's just incredible looking and um, this, it's just incredibly steep up to that last section. And so you generally are really, I mean, legitimately taking, you know, five, 10 steps and stopping for a little bit and take five, 10 steps and stop. You're just so out of breath and it's so steep um, that you just have to push yourself um, physically. But, but I think I would make the argument even more so mentally in that last section. Um, and that lasted for about a couple hours until we got up to the actual summit. And unfortunately for us, we had just absolutely terrible weather at the very summit. Um, couldn't really see anything. No definitely could smell the sulfur and we had a few visuals inside but the weather came in and we were having just um, excruciatingly fast winds that we were probably only up there for about two to three minutes at tops before oh, wow. we needed to say okay we got to get down to a, a little bit of a better elevation and um, pretty much the entire way down was um, just just very bad blizzard-like conditions so it was kind of a um, uh, in a way worse on the going down than it was on the going up for us on that particular day. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess there's really no way to predict 
that i mean without no, with no, complete there's certainty not. there's not no not at all it was um you know really it was decent conditions until we got to the top and it was kind of right at that point in time where it it just took a um you know i mean it wasn't extremely dangerous type of conditions or overly dangerous types of conditions but it was definitely uncomfortably fast winds and stuff in your face um all the way down so um so yeah so that was cotopaxi and like i said that's that's your tallest active volcano in the world um so so when you say active volcano mm-hmm. does that just mean it's constantly like it's it's not like going to like or I guess it has the potential, I guess, to erupt, or is it just constantly like lava's flowing out of it, or like what classifies? Yeah, no, no flowing out of it, but constantly you'll see the steam and you'll see okay. this, it is bubbling inside, of course, right? So it is yeah. active, is what they say. And they did, I mean, the most recent, I think it was in 2016, they had a pretty big, um, a, a decent eruption, then it was, it was super active that they started evacuating. Um, I mean, the this this particular volcano is very close to many large including quito itself and it would have drastic effects even all the way into quito which was about a you know two hour drive away oh wow yeah Uh, they were evacuating and i remember um my wife's family at that particular point i mean everybody was wearing masks because it was just um, there's ash everywhere and covering everything even two hours away by car um so so that's what i mean by active there are other taller that have the potential of becoming active i don't think they've been declared dormant but this is one is is i mean daily it's 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 bubbling and you can see the, the steam um obviously sometimes more active than not but wow yeah that's yeah, that's interesting I, you know <laughs> yeah obviously it's not something i really think about here uh in the ozark so that's what i was asking <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean the biggest i think the biggest thing is you definitely can see all the steam constantly and you can smell the sulfur constantly and that's that was like uh, the two very unique distinguishing things about it for from my experiences the whole time you, you're you're seeing that those two aspects of it yeah yeah so then talking about the other one which is chimborazo which is um chimborazo is is what it's known for is it is actually the closest place to outer space on earth and the reason for that is a little again a little science lesson for everybody the world is not completely round <laughs> it's definitely not flat but it's not <laughs> right and the equator is is the bulge right so you have this kind of bulge all the way around the equator around the world and so that actually is further um you know further out from the center of the earth and so since chimborazo is very close to the to being located on the direct equator um, it is actually closer to outer space than everest not higher elevation um but closer to outer space than everest so a lot of people talk about um you know, again, not com- actually trying to compare that to Everest in any capacity, but it, the, the um, altitude itself um, is, again, I don't think stronger, but stronger than it would be at the same elevation point when you're on Everest, right? So, it's yeah. a, um, so that's kind of a, that's its known fact. And it is a dormant volcano, so not active. So you don't have any of those same things I just talked about, but it is just, just super, super steep um just a long very long climb you start essentially you got the same platform or same kind of um, itinerary as the day um 
that for Cotopaxi Summit, but you just start everything much earlier. For us, we started about two hours earlier than we did Cotopaxi. Oh. And the deal with that is instead of climbing up to a base camp that's like a little lodge, you actually don't have that. You just have a high camp. And so you climb from about that 13, 14 again, you climb to about that 17, two, I think is where we slept that night um, in camp, right? And so the annoyance about that is, of course, you have to carry a lot more when you're camping versus in a lodge, you're going to carry your bedding and that kind of stuff from 13 to 17. And then you can leave everything there when you start your summit around, we started our summit around 11 a.m. or 11 p.m., sorry. So, um, yeah, and just a, just a super different experience. Camping is always a lot harder, um, getting ready and getting prepared. Um, you're at a much higher elevation camping. Um, and so that's where a lot of people do generally have uh, altitude sickness is, is overnight that will catch up with them or overnight, I guess what I mean is your time in the, in the campsite itself will catch up to them and start to really take a toll. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, Chimborazo is really a very similar concept overall, just a lot longer and, um, just super steep. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, if you're really thinking, I don't know exactly what the pitch was. Um, that'd be interesting. I probably should have looked that up, but every step is, you know, you're not holding yourself with your ice axe, but you're absolutely putting it in with a, an uncomfortability of not uh, worried about, um, you know, falling off down, down hillside. Right? <laughs> so you're constantly doing, um, um, switchbacks, um, small baby switchbacks, um, because you just physically are not able to walk just straight up. You're, you're walking, you know, on one side or the other, if that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, um, one question I want to ask for that. So I know, uh, with the first one, um, you said you all were the only three that went up there. Was that the same, um, case as this one or was there more people? Yeah, no, we actually, um, really cool opportunity. Um, there is a gentleman, um, named Carl Egloff and he is, um, a pretty famous, um, um, individual, especially right now. Um, he is, he has set, um, I, I, I would have to look up exactly. And again, you might want to share some of this stuff, but he has set um, numerous world records for the fastest summits on some of these highest peaks in the world from anything from Denali to Kilimanjaro to um, um, almost all in Ecuador where he's from. And I can't remember the, there's others, but, but really some of your highest, I think Aquagua down in, in Argentina is his record right now. So he's just a quite, um, he's, he's incredible. I mean, in comparison, when I did Kilimanjaro, it took me seven days. And again, it didn't, we, you know, you climb up and back down and up and back down and you circumvent. So you're not going the most direct route, but he summited Kilimanjaro in about nine hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So legitimately running, you know, I mean, if you see some of his videos, he's running anyways, he, um, he is a guide in Ecuador and does some of the, some guiding for some of these different groups. And he was leading a group of, um, of tourists from Mexico that were summiting as well. And so we got the chance to meet and converse with him that evening um, at high camp, which was a, a very cool experience to hear some of his stories and um, some of his 
plans and his, his, him and a, a gentleman named um, Killian Jornet are your two that are kind of these, uh, setting these world records for fast pace endurance um, summits and things like the uh, Appalachian Trail record speeds and those kind of things. And so they're kind of con- constantly battling each other for records all over <laughs> the world. It's pretty cool to hear um, to talk with them, yeah. That's awesome. That's definitely a different kind of uh, competitive spirit, you know, because you're you're not talking about like I don't know running a lap or something like that, or you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that factor into that. It's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. So yeah, so I think his group was about I think in total there was about 15 people that probably or I, and it started from high camp that day that we did, um, and I believe there was actually only about seven or eight that did summit. So. Um, unfortunately the friend with me did not summit either um, but myself my guide and then I think uh, about five of of the other group completed on Chimborazo. Nice so was was that the like the the summit itself um, obviously it was kind of steep going up there did you have good weather when you when you got up there with the whole with everything or yeah, unfortunately, not really. I mean, it wasn't as terrible as, as high winds as Cotopaxi and stuff, but it was just super cloudy and you kind of had a little, again, everything's a blizzard when you're at that elevation, right? But it was a little bit of blizzard conditions that the biggest letdown of that was, again, we just did not have that iconic view that you usually have at the top of these places. Um, most of the time you got views that literally you can see um, generally, you can see Cotopaxi from Chimborazo, and even though they're, I think, about three and a half hours driving from each other, you can see the peaks and all these other peaks, about 10 of them that are snow-capped in that region, all from the tops of these two. Um, so, unfortunately, we didn't get to see that kind of iconic view out, um, but it wasn't quite as bad, I guess. It was, um, I, and again, I can share a picture with you to post, but you'll see how frozen over I, I looked that, that <laughs> understand how uh, it really wasn't allowing you to see very far. <laughs> well, it's yeah. still so, so experience nonetheless. So it like with all these like different climbs and stuff that you've, that you've done, is there like, obviously this at least being your third, which is pretty impressive. Um, what, like, what, what do you kind of learn from each one? Like maybe not even like, I mean, I guess that could be as far as like learn a better way to, to pace yourself or, you know, whatever that is like tactically, but also like, what do you learn? Like, is there anything that you learn about yourself like each time? Like that's sort of sounds corny, but does that make sense? Cause it, I mean, that is a pretty, it's as much physical as it is a mental feat, you know? Oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I would absolutely make the argument to anybody that it's more mental than physical um, and, and in very different ways. In, in Kilimanjaro, you know, everybody's asked how to prepare for a Kilimanjaro summit or how to, how to train for something like that. And honestly, I say before anything, test yourself that you're going to literally not shower for seven days. You're going <laughs> to have to hike seven days in a row. You're going to sweat. You're going to sleep in a in a tent and be cold every night. You're going to be, uh, eat odd food for seven days straight. You're going to just that mental capacity, especially for doing anything for seven days in a row, let alone when it has an, a, a physical aspect to it too. Um, that's truly what I think is it's Kilimanjaro physically is a very achievable high summit for a lot of people. Um, truly it's, it's the mental side that, that so many people would not even really want to entertain doing. 
And in a very similar but different way, these two summits are just, um, I mean, you're mentally, that, that, that last three, four hours especially, it's just, I mean, there's so many different reasons why you'd want to say, hey, I'll, I'll turn around now, right? And it's just not worth it. I mean, it's, um, it is a very grueling mental experience to be at that elevation and to be um, trying to con- continuously talk your body into taking another step, right? So, um, yeah, I think you learn a lot about yourself. I think that you, um, I, I've just been always been somebody that I love to finally kind of push that limit of where I, I believe all of us have a line in the sand of where we think we can push our body and our mental capacity. And I generally think that 99% of us set that a little bit too low. Right. So I always, am, have always been somebody that I like to push myself and to find that line and, um, to see where those things start to happen to yourselves. And, um, so beyond that, I think that you just get more comfortable with being in uncomfortable positions. I yeah. Think that's the biggest deal. There is you're, I mean, you're, you're just freezing cold and you're, um, but at the same time, if you're active at the start, you're probably starting to sweat. And so you have to know how to control that or because that can be a very serious problem if you start to sweat a lot inside. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, I'm rambling on a little bit, but really I think that the biggest thing is you just get more comfortable being in uncomfortable positions and start to understand how to regulate that and how to c- control your brain from taking over the, the physical side of, of what you're actually doing. Right. So, yeah. I guess that makes things a little bit easier back here at home too, when you have a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, I think that puts things in perspective, no doubt. Um, Cold. I don't like being cold. (laughs) And, and, and you just constantly, yeah, I mean, testing yourselves. And one of the biggest things is just wearing a massive amount of layers and being okay and no win. Okay. I need to adjust the layer. I need to take one off. I need to put one on. I remember in Kilimanjaro, it would be every day. I mean, some days, you know, you're so high elevation and the sun would come out. You could be 90 degrees and then the sun goes down and a storm comes in. It could be 20 degrees, right? Yeah. You need to be very okay with, with shedding and adding layers as much as possible. So yeah, prepare and, and, and adjust before things are needed in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that makes sense. There's so many different kind of elements and challenges that go along with that. Um, and you, and you kind of, it's sort of sounded like you, you kind of offered some pretty good advice there. Um, in, in the, the beginning of that where, you know, can you not shower for seven days? Can you eat weird food for seven days? Can you, you know, sleep in a sleeping bag for seven days, you know, whatever that is. Um, which, which is kind of something that I didn't really think about you know, if I were to think about doing something like that, thinking about that part of the challenge, something that you can actually practice at home. But I guess to that, to that point, is there anything else that you would offer or any any other advice besides that, that might be able to help anybody? Or do you think mainly if you, if you kind of get over that, that mental limit that, you know, you'll, you can persevere through it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, I mean, for something like Kilimanjaro is, again, I, in my mind, they're not really even comparable. Kilimanjaro, again, is is a feat, don't get me wrong, but it's a very achievable physical feat. It's it's almost all mental in my mind. Uh, from, from my experience, it's 
not in, again, not taking away at all for anybody that's done it in the, in the form of the physical limitations and the expectations it has. Um, but really there's so much mental to that. It's, it's seven hard day hikes stacked on top of each other, right? Achievable, but hard day hikes. Now on the other side that, you know, Trevor Ross and Cotopaxi, those were very physical, physically, um, difficult right again still achievable but i you know again i think that like you said it's really about testing yourself mentally um i would never ever want anybody to go to uh you know plan something extremely have never tested their 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 reactions to high altitude so um yeah you know, if you have plans to do some sort of summit, summit mountaineering this capacity, you definitely need to, you know, go do a 14er in Colorado and go find ways to get up to that elevation and just even just see, you know, even a, a ski trip, right, where you're getting up to that fifth, potential 15,000 feet and that kind of stuff. And just know what that feels like on your body. Everybody reacts very differently. Um But, but other than that, um, you know, there's definitely ways to train, you know, I, I did a lot of stair, um, training, um, between stair masters and gym or, you know, finding stairs around here. Um, but nothing really, um, replaces the altitude. Your biggest limitation is something like this is your altitude. Um, and then most of that and everything else related to that is, is the mental limitations. So, yeah. Yeah, no, no, that, that makes sense. And I think those are great, definitely perspectives as far as, uh, advice as, as far as way to look at it to kind of prepare yourself mentally and uh, a little bit physically there. Um, so, so with all that, like I said, I, I know we kind of mentioned about it earlier. You're kind of thinking about, uh, or, or in the works at some point, um, to kind of offer some of these different trips where others might have the opportunity and the guidance from people like yourself. Um, where, where can people find, um, 37 North and you all online to uh, check out local trips, of course, but also get in the know, you know, once those opportunities do open up as far as, um, you know, some international and some uh, other national trips as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we have, um, I, I'm a little biased, but I think we have an amazing website. <laughs> that not only is very appealing visually and stuff, but it gives a ton of information about all our trips. Right. So, um, you know, check out the website, you see a lot of, all the private trips we do and all the, we have trips every single Saturday and Sunday um, all year round. So you can go check out those, those trips and get lots of information. Um, our Facebook presence is pretty strong too. It's where a lot of people find out about us. Um, so Facebook has a lot of information too, but usually those all direct you to the website as well. Um, and always reach out. I mean, it's, we're a small company. If you Facebook, if you call, if you text, if you email, uh, you're going to get me right. So so just reach out and say you heard this or if you're interested in something particular we talked about, I'd love to chat with anyone about um, doing adventures with us or accomplishing something on your own or asking for places to go on your own, whatever that looks like. All, we're just kind of solely focused on helping more people um, get outside more often. So, And then in specific to international stuff, we are, we're definitely on works. We already had one um, Ecuadorian adventure up before COVID hit. And then we had to actually, you know, cancel postpone. We haven't set dates because 
we still don't know what the world looks like. <laughs> yeah. and really do, but it's ready to go. And, and as soon as we kind of feel the world lifting a little bit more and have that confidence that we're going to be able to have a, um, a safe trip, um, we will start getting back into that. And we have aspirations and plans to have all sorts of different adventures from a generic outdoor focused um, international experience to um, you know, strictly wellness focus that have that bring in more of the mindfulness and the yoga and the meditation to um, um, cycling adventures. We're, we're starting to work on some international cycling adventures. Um, and then, like I said, also um, starting again, probably going to be put up some stuff that's more on this high mountain, mountaineering summit that will have a lot of training plans to go with it beforehand. So super excited about, um, post COVID world. <laughs> and, and so reach out, look on our website, but reach out if you're interested in that and definitely can personally keep you in the, um, in the know where we sit and all that stuff. Definitely. Yeah. And, and like you said, definitely check them out. Uh, 37 North expeditions.com. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, as he mentioned, some great resources, their, their website is, uh, is pretty good and does lay out some, I mean, their, their trips are unique and interesting. Uh, you know, there's, there's some goats involved last summer or last spring, you know, they're kind of some different things, different unique things always tied in with, uh, uh, a brewery or winery and stuff as well. So they, they have fun. Um, and obviously, uh, some experience, uh, to come along with, with these trips as well. Uh, not only with Danny, but, their, uh, his, his guides as well. So, definitely check them out. Um, but Danny, thank you uh, again for being on the podcast today and for sharing uh, your story, giving us a little update with 37 North and then sharing your experiences uh, in South America. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely wish, wish you and 37 North the best. Uh, and I hope, I hope you catch up on some sleep before it all changes. <laughs> yeah. Super excited about, about, uh, about everything. And thanks so much, man, for, uh, for having us on again and for, um, you know, sharing, sharing these stories about us and about everybody. So yeah, always, always a good time. Thanks for listening. And Hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life emotion until next time.